It's Monday, November the 1st, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, COP26's unpromising start and LDP's continued dominance in Japan. First, the world in brief. During the opening speech of the UN's climate conference in Glasgow, Alok Sharma, the president of COP26, said the window to keep global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius was closing. The summit, which Mr Sharma described as, quote, our last best hope to keep 1.5 in reach, hopes to push the most ambitious collective endeavour ever undertaken, stabilising the planet. Polls closed in Japan's election for Parliament's lower house, with projections suggesting that the ruling Liberal Democratic Party, which has dominated the country's politics since the Second World War, has won with a diminished majority. Despite an appetite for reform in the country, the LDP opted to have Kishida Fumio, a continuity candidate, lead them into the election. Pakistan's government struck a deal with the tariq e labaik Pakistan, a banned Islamist party, to end a 10-day protest. Thousands of supporters had begun a, quote, long march from Lahore to Islamabad, the capital, on October 22nd to agitate for the release of their leader, Hafiz Sarvizvi. At least seven police officers and four protesters were killed in clashes along the way. Saudi Aramco said its earnings rose by 158% year-on-year in the third quarter of 2021 as the global recovery allowed it to sell more oil at high prices. The state-owned company is the world's most profitable firm. Other oil companies are also enjoying the boom. On Friday, ExxonMobil and Chevron, two American supermajors, reported their best quarterly profits in years. Protesters returned to Sudan's streets on Sunday, undeterred by reports that security forces fired live rounds and tear gas into the crowds the day before, killing at least three. Tens of thousands had turned out on Saturday to demonstrate against last week's coup. Antonio Guterres, the Secretary-General of the UN, told Sudan's military leaders it was, quote, time to go back to the legitimate constitutional arrangements. Haibatola Akinzada, the Supreme Leader of the Taliban, made his first public appearance since taking over the group in 2016. He spoke to supporters in the city of Kandahar in southern Afghanistan. Though the head of the organisation, he has not visibly been active in government since the Taliban took over Afghanistan in August, fueling speculation about his role. Leaders of G20 countries agreed to a global minimum corporate tax of 15%, pending formal adoption that is expected imminently. The levy will prevent countries from enticing multinationals to book profits in their jurisdiction with minimal rates. Though a treaty to reallocate tax rights must still be thrashed out next year, the era of tax havens may be coming to an end. And fact of the day. £2.5 million, $3.4 million. The cost of the decision by Britain's Royal Mail to rebrand as Consignia in 2001. It then unrebranded, which cost another £1 million. And now, here's today's agenda. 
The Kicked Can COP26 As COP26, the United Nations Climate Change Summit, opened in Glasgow on Sunday, world leaders were finishing up the G21 in Rome. Their closing statement did not bode well for the climate conference. In it, the G20 countries, responsible for an estimated 80% of greenhouse gas emissions, reaffirmed their commitment to the agreement made in Paris in 2015 to, quote, pursue efforts to keep global temperature increases to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. But they prevaricated about how, making only hand-waving commitments to, quote, support countries phasing out coal and to strengthen national plans to cut emissions, quote, if necessary. Such evasion is at odds with the urgency of Alok Sharma, the COP26 president. His opening speech stressed the need to ensure that, quote, where Paris promised, Glasgow delivers. Participants at COP26 have two weeks to figure out how to keep the goals of the Paris Agreement alive. There is no more time to procrastinate. Under review Texas's abortion ban On Monday, America's Supreme Court hears two challenges to Texas's ban on abortion after six weeks of pregnancy. On September 1st, the justices voted 5-4, to four, without a hearing and with a single paragraph of explanation, to let the restrictions take effect. Now they are undertaking a more thorough examination. Ten days ago, the court agreed to fast-track Whole Woman's Health v Jackson, a suit by abortion providers, and United States v Texas, a challenge from the Biden administration. Each focuses less on what the law does than on how it does it, outsourcing enforcement to private citizens, who may sue and collect $10,000 from anyone who, quote, aids or abets an abortion. By taking enforcement out of state officials' hands, Texas aims to thwart federal lawsuits. Plaintiffs say Texas's law is a, quote, brazen nullification of nearly 50 years of Supreme Court precedent, recognising a constitutional right to abortion. Texas dismisses this as, quote, incendiary rhetoric. Quote, nothing, it argues, quote, has been nullified. Sabre rattled. The politics of European gas. With winter approaching, natural gas prices in Europe have spiked and stores have plunged. Europe's politicians say the energy crunch is the fault of Gazprom, a Russian state-owned firm. They accuse Russia of weaponizing the gas supply to push for final approval of Nord Stream 2, a pipeline linking Russia and Germany. And they reckon it bullied Moldova by demanding more money for gas imports and then offering a sweeter deal if it weakens ties with the EU. Such behaviour, Europe's politicians say, comes on top of evidence that Gazprom withheld gas from European storage tanks. In fact, Europe's poorly designed policies for the transition away from fossil fuels, such as over-reliance on intermittent renewable power and flawed gas market liberalisation, were among the root causes of the crisis. Gas prices eased on news that Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, ordered Gazprom to start refilling European storage tanks in early November, after filling Russia's. If it happens, 
the sabre may return to its sheath. From Gateway to Airlock, Hong Kong's Economy A number of blessings have helped Hong Kong's economy partially recover from the misery of last year, as GDP figures released on Monday will confirm. It has not had a locally transmitted case of COVID-19 for over three weeks. The city's familiar hustle and bustle now exceeds its pre-pandemic levels, according to mobility data collected by Google. The government has handed out generous consumption vouchers that will expire if they are not spent. But Hong Kong cannot truly prosper until the COVID-weary government in Beijing eases restrictions on travel to and from the mainland. To make that possible, Hong Kong must retain draconian limits on incoming travel from elsewhere. A city that has always served as a gateway between China and the world has become a kind of airlock. To open the door to China, it must continue to seal its door to the outside world. Working without a net Kyrie Irving One player has dominated the National Basketball Association season since it began on October 19th, and he is yet to step on court. On October 13th, Kyrie Irving, the Brooklyn Nets point guard, announced in a rambling soliloquy on Instagram Live that he would not get a COVID-19 vaccine. New York's mandate prevents him from playing matches in the state, so the Nets' management suspended him. Since then, Mr Irving has gone quiet. Less so than Nets supporters and anti-vaccination activists who protested against the decision outside of the team's stadium late in October. Mr Irving's one-man stance has overshadowed the NBA's 95% vaccination rate. He has failed to offer a coherent explanation, referring only to the importance of freedom and, quote, doing what is best for me. But here, if not on the court anymore, he has form. In 2017, he claimed to believe the earth was flat. Finally, Here's the quote of the day from Edward Said, who was born on this day in 1935. Our role is to widen the field of discussion, not to set limits in accord with the prevailing authority. That's it from the Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or by asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 